What's going on, everybody? Welcome back. Come on in, y'all. Come on in. It's cold outside. Uh, welcome back to the Hills Are Silent podcast, where we chop it up about the games of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I am Two Tone the Artist. And I'm Mr. Peach. Let's get into it. What is going on, Mitch? I know you're recovering from being sick. Sorry to hear that, man, but you're, you're sitting up, you're still alive. It's always a good thing. So, what's been going on with you? Any new games this week? Yeah, fighting a little bit of the, the stomach flu, which I would not wish on my worst enemy. It was not a fun 24 hours, and I'm still kind of feeling the effects now. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're mustering through it. I did still get a chance to play some games, though, uh, which was nice having Nintendo Switch when I'm laying down in my bed most of the time sick. I got a chance to play the new Metroid Prime Remastered. Ah, uh, yeah, all right. And, yeah, and I'm excited to say that they put a lot of care into the remaster, almost to the point where I want to call it a remake because it's just so well done and they put so much into it. It almost feels like a, a remake similar to what they did with, uh, with the Crash Bandicoot trilogy where they, they really call that one a remake more than a remaster. Um, but similar to the Hi-Fi Rush we talked about during the Xbox Bethesda event, Metroid Prime Remaster was released the day of the Nintendo Direct that they just had uh, last week, or maybe a little over a week ago, which I thought was pretty cool. That I mean, they, they had been talking about releasing this remaster for a while, but... It was nice to see that they're, you know, they had this direct going. They're like, oh, by the way, available now. Today you can download. And just like Hi-Fi Rush suckered me into download it, uh, Metroid Prime Remaster suckered me into buy it. And uh, I, I'm not disappointed, though. It's, it, it's been a lot of fun. I'm definitely going to play it through completion. I want to ask you, though, did you play a lot of the GameCube version? Because honestly, I didn't play too much of it. So I never played it back when it first came out, but recently, like when in the past two years, I've picked up another GameCube, and the first couple of games I got were the Zelda games and the Metroid Prime games, and that was for two reasons. A, because those are just great franchises, and I figured that would be a good place to start as far as GameCube games that I didn't play back in the day, and Two, at the time, those were still reasonably priced. Like, you could get the Metroid games and the Zelda games for anywhere between $20 or $30. Now, we're only two years later, and if you want to get these games on GameCube now, man, they're so much more expensive. It's ridiculous. So I'm glad I snatched those up when I did because, well, first of all, GameCube prices are just skyrocketing every single day. Like, I'm pretty much, I'm tapped out on GameCube. It's just it's too, too rich for my blood. But anyway, so yeah, I picked up the first two Metroid games on GameCube a couple years ago when I got a GameCube again, and I played only a couple hours of the first one. But what I played, I liked. I just had so many other games I was playing at the time that it just, I got my feet wet on it, and that was it. But it seemed like a cool game, and I love first-person shooters, so mm -hmm. as far as first-person shooters on the GameCube go, that's one of the best ones you can get. But other than that, couple hours of playing the game, I don't have much experience with it. What about you? Did you play it back when it originally released on the GameCube? 
So yeah, I did play a little bit, didn't play it through completion. I was as much a completionist then as I am now as far as uh, games that I would purchase. So didn't go through it at all, but from what I remember and reading a lot of articles about the remaster now, it kind of checks out that the controls were pretty clunky with the original version. I want to say maybe like specific aiming on which enemy you want was very hard on the on the original. And I'm pleased to say that the remaster, they completely overhauled the controls and they make it a lot similar like, or a lot easier to uh, to aim, to move, to use all the abilities that Samus has to her arsenal. And it's super fluid and like easy to maneuver. And I, I think that is another reason why I think I'll complete it pretty quickly is just because like it controls really well but if you're one of those people that want to play it true to its form they actually do give you an option to play with the classic controls hmm. so you don't have to use their the overhauls that they've done and the but i would highly recommend them because they are fantastic and they make aiming so easy yeah and it, it... With you saying that, the GameCube was never really designed to be a first-person shooter powerhouse. During that generation of the GameCube, the PlayStation 2, and the Xbox, the Xbox was the first-person shooter king. Uh, games, First-person shooter games ran well on that console. The controller was really designed for it. Like, I remember with the GameCube controller, now it's a wonderful controller design, but it had two completely different analog sticks. Do you remember that? Yeah, the C-Stick, the yellow one. Yeah, and the C-Stick was just, I don't know. It wasn't wasn't great for first-person shooters. And it is, I'm always fascinated by the evolution of controls. Because we went from original Nintendos, well, it goes way beyond that. But as far as console gaming, and at least when I started playing console games, I remember the original NES controller had a D-pad and two buttons. Then the Sega Genesis had three buttons, and then eventually the Sega Genesis had another model that had even more buttons and triggers, and then eventually the PlayStation 1 came out with no analogs. And then later on in the PlayStation 1's life, they eventually released the first DualShock that had two analogs because they realized, hey, we need a dedicated analog stick to move the camera around and that's and that exactly with the gamecube that's why it was the c button it was the camera button and on the n64 mm-hmm. controller it was the up down left right c buttons that was they, they were called the c button because it was supposed to control the camera so all of a sudden video games are changing from two-dimensional to three-dimensional and controlling the camera becomes a a thing of okay we got to figure out what's the best way to do this and then around the time of the GameCube, the PlayStation 2, and the Xbox, that was slowly kind of coming into form. And now today we have our modern controls where almost universally the left thumbstick controls your character's movement in space while the right thumbstick controls the camera. Now, having said all that, there is the thing where, where when we make remasters or remakes of old games, do we modernize the controls? Is that changing the original experience too much or is it that it's necessary to make these old games enjoyable and i think it's a valid question which is why i'm really happy that you know for people that want to play with the classic controls they have the option in metroid uh metroid prime remaster but for me personally i would love overhauled controls and more and i guess to feel smoother because i feel like the game has a 
I don't know, a more positive experience when you're when you're moving around smooth, when you're shooting smooth, when you know when you're playing the game the way that I think they would have liked it to be be created when it originally came out. They just didn't know exactly how to do it then. Yeah, it's not as universally it wasn't as universally known how to control left stick with movement, right stick with camera, like it is now. Yeah, and even going back to Goldeneye with the N sixty four. I mean, yeah, that controls are crazy weird to go back to <laughs> nowadays. And I haven't, I've, I've heard from people that have played, I haven't gone back and played the ones on uh, Switch or Xbox One that they have now. You mean um, the ones that they just recently released? Yes. Okay. The ones that's recently released, but from what I've heard, the Nintendo version that they have in the, the online service is not very good i guess it's it's i think it's maybe too true to when it was released compared to the remaster that they released on xbox which i've which is what i've heard the way better way to play that game yeah i heard that as well that the it was made by two different development teams the development team that released it on nintendo switch they did not overhaul the controls so you're getting the original nintendo 64 controls which is difficult because they did release a Nintendo 64 controller for Switch that would probably make that a little easier, even though it is sure. an old control scheme. But if you're playing on a Nintendo Switch and then you're trying to play with classic Nintendo 64 controls on a Switch controller, that would definitely like screw with my head. But yeah, yeah. With, with the Xbox version, they did modernize the controls apparently. Yeah, and I heard it because you can only play the campaign on the Xbox version. There's no multiplayer feature with that one. But if you're playing the campaign, it seems like that's the way to go. Yeah. One other thing with Metroid that I, I do want to bring up and ask you, because I'm curious myself, uh, is this the first game where we figure out that Samus is a female? I don't know. I think it maybe was it was. I think the reveal was in this game. Because it was... I remember my f- friends and I before we played uh, before we played Metroid Prime, or a lot of us didn't play a lot of the older Metroids, but we played Super Smash Bros. and Samus is in Super Smash Bros. and I there was some like way you could see. I think there's like maybe like an electrocution item or something, where like you could see through Samus's suit. Like if you do it the right way, and then you figure out that she's a girl in Super Smash Bros. But but I want to know what game was it where people figure out that she's female? Oh, uh, I think it was the Super Nintendo version. I think uh, at the very end of the Super Nintendo game, when you beat it, it's revealed that she's a woman. So I d- actually, okay. I don't think Metroid Prime was, was where that was revealed. Yeah, I think it was just a sign of, of the age of us. We just assumed that it was a male protagonists because there really weren't a lot of female protagonists at that point uh in gaming but uh refreshing to see how how modern nintendo was even uh even back then yeah absolutely so have you played metroid prime 2 or 3 i actually bought metroid prime 2 at mega replay our our local game store back in our hometown but I've not played it. No, I, and I might. Uh, I might give it a whirl after I beat Metroid Prime Remaster, just because I've really not heard much about the the second one as compared to the first, though. Yeah, hopefully they remaster those ones as well. 
Uh, so if I remember correctly, Metroid Prime 1 and 2 released on GameCube, and then yes. Metroid Prime 3 released on Nintendo Wii, and at some point they re-released the whole trilogy on, on Nintendo Wii with motion controls like incorporated oh. into it. I did not know that part. That's interesting. And I know Metroid Prime 4 is in development, but it's been in development for a very, very long time. And I know, the, if I'm thinking correctly, the original Metroid Prime 4 that they were going to release, they did not like what they did, and they scrapped the whole thing, and they started over from scratch. Because I want to say they used to... They would talk... I want, They first talked about a Metroid Prime 4... Man, back right when I got out of college almost, and like it was at my first job uh, out of college, I remember listening to a podcast and then talking about, you know, the the rumors of Metroid Prime 4. Well, we'll, we'll patiently wait to see if that's ever actually finished and released. But yeah, man, I'm definitely going to go back and play this. I don't have a Nintendo Switch, but... I'm either going to play this on my GameCube or through emulation. Well, yeah, never too late to get a Nintendo Switch, though. Now now may be the time. Yeah. Eventually, I'm going to get one. I've been meaning to get one for the longest time. I'm always late to the game, but it is what it is. Honestly, it's, that's never a bad thing. Usually, you can get some good bundle or a discounted price, and you get more for what you paid for than what I would have got when I bought it, like, day one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. All right, so uh, any other words on the Metroid Prime? No, Remake, nothing Remaster? there. It's, it's, it's excellent. I highly recommend it. It's only $40 in the eShop. I think that's a, that's a fair price for it. I had credit already, so it didn't cost me anything. But I, I think it's well worth it. Nice. So you and I also played some cooperative gaming this past weekend. And... What we dove into was MechWarrior 5 Mercenaries. Now, this was highly recommended to me by one of my buddies. And he's like, you got to check it out. It's an awesome game. It's a very deep game. And we, re we realized it was on Game Pass. So what do we have to lose? Yeah. We already have Game Pass. Exactly. Let's install it. Let's jump in and check Zero it out. Real. So it is a co-op game. Uh, you can also play single player, and actually you have to play through the first couple of missions in single player before the co-op is opened up, which, which seems to be pretty common on co-op games these days, where they kind of basically put you through a tutorial before they let you dive in with a buddy, especially if it's a, a game with deeper game mechanics or a higher learning curve. So we jumped into this at heart. It's a third-person shooter. Now, the Mech Warrior series has been around forever. I remember these games back in like early to mid-90s. They were computer games. And obviously, they've come a long way. Uh, I don't think I've ever actually played any of the older Mech Warrior games, although I've played many other games that were not spin-offs, but imitations. There was a game, I think it was called Genome, that came free on my Windows 95 disk or Windows 98 disk back on back in the day on one of our very first family computers. And it, it was basically a, a clone of MechWarrior. And then later on with the original Xbox, there was the Mech Assault games, which mm -hmm. were, I think, a little more fast-paced and action-oriented. 
So anyway, we dove into MechWarrior 5. As I mentioned, it's a shooter at heart. You can go in either third-person view or first-person view. Uh, you're essentially a mercenary, as the subtitle suggests, and you can pick up jobs, and usually those consist of protecting some base or attacking some other base or something along those lines. And you get money for completing those missions. Now, the shooting mechanics are nice. You can update or upgrade your mech. That's, that's fun. There's all different kinds of parts you can salvage or buy from stores. But what really takes this game to the next level is how deep the economy mechanics are and how much there is in managing your business and your inventory because you have monthly expenses and those are repair bills because your mech gets destroyed during the mission. You might get your whole arm blown off. So now you gotta buy a new arm for your mech and also repair the other damage done. You gotta pay for pilots because you can deploy into missions with entire squads and that means you need to buy multiple mechs, you need to repair multiple mechs, upgrade multiple mechs, um, pay your pilots, pay all kinds of other monthly expenses you have. And so it's a, a real big game of risk and reward. How much risk am I willing to take for a high paying mission where if I fail that mission, I may not be able to repair my mechs and continue my business as a mercenary. So it is, it is, it can get intense. And there's so many different ways you can upgrade your mech, so many things to consider, weight limit, uh, limited ammunition, short range, long range, speed versus power and defense. Uh, yeah, a lot of strategy involved, more so than your typical shooter. Uh, so that's just, that's just an overview of the game. It's a lot to take in, uh, not for the faint of heart, not for somebody just looking to jump in the game real quickly and immediately know what to do. <laughs> There's a lot of variables. Uh, but anyway, right. I enjoyed it. Mitch, what was your, your thoughts on this game when we were playing through it? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I wish, I wish we could have done a little more co-op together. I know I had to run. Uh, once we got through the single-player portion, we can actually get together and play in somebody's campaign. I had to uh, leave, but uh, from the limited co-op that we played i i enjoyed it i i wish we could have brought our own mechs in to help you in the campaign but i could see where that might be a little unfair especially someone like your friend who has gotten way farther in the game than we have could maybe come in with his like super mech up the uh, you know yeah. bunch of guns you know way way more powered than the ones that we had and could have maybe ruined the experience a little bit or made it a little easier for us but uh Overall, I enjoyed it. I like the attention to detail that it had for when it came out. I'm not sure when it came out exactly, but I mean, graphically looks beautiful. And I want to go back to, like you said, when like if a mech got their arm blown off in combat, you come back and you have to pay those repair costs. It shows your mech being repaired and you can see the exact limb that came off in you know in the mission is is off when you show it getting repaired so i thought that was really cool that the attention to detail there yeah. I, I do want to jump back into it i i think i think there's like you said there's a ton of depth to it and i only feel like i scratched the surface with it it was very helpful to have your friend explain a lot of it to us because yeah, i really i would have been a little more lost yeah absolutely and 
to the audience listening, what Mitch is referring to is when you play this game co-op, you don't get to join in to your friend's game with with your own mechs. So you are when you're joining in someone's game, it's not like you're sharing progress in the single player. You're literally just jumping in in a support role using the mechs that the person already owns in the game that you're joining. So like he was limited to the mechs that I had in my garage, essentially. So that that that's that's a bummer to me. I always like to play co-op games where the progression counts for both players and not just one one player. So that would be probably my main criticism of this game is that some shared co-op progress would have been would have been much nicer. Uh, and the other thing was very weird is is Mitch mentioned the graphics are really good in this game, but I think it's like one of the graphic settings was like the effects, like the particle effects or something. And putting that on high just tanked the performance of the game. As soon it would run smooth, and as soon as you shot your gun, it would just drop. And as soon as you were done shooting, go right back up to like 60 frames per second. So I don't know what was going on with the, the particle effects, but I had to as soon as I put it from high to medium, performance was perfect. But whatever they're doing there is just like tanking performance if you put that on high. I'm glad you mentioned that. I totally forgot about that, but I do remember even for me, like I think I have a little little bit better computer than you, and even for mine, like right when I shot, like my entire game just froze. I'm like, what the heck? And then I was done, and then it resumed, and then perfect again. Yeah, there's all, I don't know. It just seems like with computer games, sometimes there's that weirdness where you got to just tweak the settings to get it to run nice. Uh, so yeah, MechWarrior 5, we'll dive into it again. That was a, a cool game, and it is a huge, huge game. When you zoom out on the map to see all the different planets you can go to to like get missions, I mean, it is just like thousands upon thousands of planets. That overworld map is just huge and intimidating. It was nice your friend suggested it because I don't think I ever would have even bribed that game if not for him. Yeah, me neither. That's why, man, I'm always open to suggestions. Uh, if you guys listening have suggestions, you can always hit us up on our email. Let us know. I'm always down to try something new, and that's something you guys will see on this episode today is a lot of Mitch and I trying games that we probably otherwise would not have tried. That's that's the theme of this, this week's episode. It really is. So the other game that both of us gave a try this week is one that came out of nowhere. Um... For those who don't know, I am a huge survival horror fan, uh, especially the old Resident Evils are near and dear to my heart, and I caught wind that a new indie game, and I say indie because it's developed by a small uh, development studio called Moon Glint, and it's comprised of only two people working on this game, and they released this game called Echoes of the Living. And this is a homage to those early 90s Resident Evil games. I'm talking about the ones on PlayStation 1. And everything down to you being able to pick between two characters, a male and a female protagonist, and the game having fixed camera angles like the original Resident Evil games, and even going as far as having tank controls. 
And we were talking earlier about old control schemes being difficult to deal with. Well, this game brings it all back. I mean, you are essentially playing a game that plays identical to a PlayStation 1 Resident Evil game, aside from better graphics. So I played it all the way through. Beat the, well, right now they've only released the demo, which is about, two, I'd say, on average, two hours long. And the game's supposed to release at the end of this year. So I played all the way through the demo. Mitch also dove in for a while. Uh, I don't think he got quite as far as I did. So I'm curious to hear his opinion, his experience, how far he got. And anyway, take it away, man. Yeah, I, I got probably about a, a half hour in, and there were a lot of games we were trying uh, the, this episode, so I didn't want to sink too much time. My my original idea was to finish the whole demo like you did, but I think I will go back and do it. But for the podcast's sake, I was trying a bunch, and I guess I, I want to say, like, I'm no stranger to the tank controls, and I'm no stranger to, you know, clunky controls in general, and... But to me, this game felt almost worse than the Resident Evil controls that I've played, or even like the old Silent Hill games that had really bad tanky controls as well. Like, I, for some reason, I, I couldn't get a, a hang of, you know, the shooting and the motion and whatnot, but I could with older Resident Evil games. I don't know what it was, maybe just because I'm a little rusty and haven't done it in a while, but... Uh, I only got a half hour through, but I want to say the positives about it, because I'm going to go back and play it through. They really kept it like you said, identical to a Resident Evil game. And almost the opening felt like Resident Evil Outbreak when you and I played that together. Like, even, like, the first room that you go in really just felt very much like Resident Evil Outbreak, which was I thought was interesting. Uh, but overall, yeah, I, I didn't get as far, but I, I'm going to finish the demo because I, I also love survival horror games, and it looks graphically beautiful and... But yeah, I couldn't get around the controls, so I'm glad you you played it and finished it and maybe had a better experience than I did. Okay, so you were not the only one to complain about the controls. I hopped okay. on the Steam discussion page, and it was just post after post. Can we please get modern controls? Can we please get modern controls? Can you at least give the option to do tank controls or modern controls? And true, that would if they allowed you to just have regular controls that weren't tank controls. And for those who don't know, the younger gamers, tank controls, I mentioned on the original PlayStation 1 that er the early controller did not have dual analog sticks. It just had a D-pad and the face buttons. So when games were released for the original PlayStation prior to the very first DualShock controller being released, a semi-common control scheme which is now today known as tank controls, is where your character, you hold left and right, and your character will turn to face left or right, but then you have to hold forward and back to, the, to then move them in that direction. Sort of like a tank. Like you literally, a tank has to turn before it can move forward and back. Uh, so that's why that, they're referred to as tank controls. And it is very clunky. And once dual analog sticks came out, there was basically no need to have tank controls anymore. It was a product of its time. It's totally unnecessary today. Um, but the side effect of tank controls, especially in the old Resident Evil games, is it made it much scarier. Because when you take away a player's control 
and they're faced with a, a scary situation, you panic. You're like, oh, oh, a zombie, oh crap. You can't just run away real fast. You have to like turn, then run away. <laughs> and so it it really, it worked for Resident Evil games back then as far as heightening the fear and anxiety in those games. Now, I don't think it was in the first Resident Evil, but I think starting in Resident Evil 2, they implemented a quick turn function where you would hold back and press a button and your character would immediately turn around and face the opposite direction. So over time, the longer you play, the better you get at that. So you move, you can move around the tank controls and then when you get stuck in a panicky situation, you do a quick turn and then you run off and then you quick turn back and then shoot your gun now that you've left some distance between you and the monster. Uh, yeah, so for somebody who's younger who hasn't ever played a PlayStation 1 or any of those old games, you might just be like, why on earth are these controls so bad? And I saw that in the discussion post. Some of these people I'm assuming had never played this game and they're just like, why are the controls so terrible? Why are they so terrible? And it's like, dude, in this case, it's not that the developers are idiots or anything. They did this on purpose to mimic the old Resident Evil games. And they did such a good job, so much so that I like, I call this like the lost Resident Evil sequel. So this is like that what if, that beautiful what if situation where what if they made one more Resident Evil game on the PlayStation 1 before they moved on to the PlayStation 2. And even the even code Resident Evil Code Veronica, the first Resident Evil game they released on PlayStation 2, that even still had tank controls. Even though at that point it was totally not necessary. Well, wait, I think they did. I don't know. I'll have to go back and check. I played that not that long ago. I can't remember, to be honest with you. Oh, all right, that's going to kill me, man. I got to look it up. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you had an enjoyable experience with this. I, th I think I will, too, if I give it another go. I, I recently have just played through Resident Evil 1 and the remastered version, and I've also recently played through Xbox 360's version of Silent Hill 2 and 3, which all those games have those tank controls in them. So I, I'm not sure what it is with this one that kind of got, that w was, I guess, making me feel worse than those, but maybe when I give it another go, I'll, I'll have a better time with it. And, yeah. But, go ahead. I was gonna say I did not notice that, but yes, even some people in the discuss the forum discussions were like, "These tank controls feel worse than the original Resident Evil games." So that may very well be the case. Um, yeah, they may need some minor tweaking. There was a couple of times where I was, I think the original Resident Evil games had a little more generous aiming too. Like you didn't have to be directly aiming at the zombie right. to still hit it but in this one if you weren't lined up perfectly you would miss your shot and for a game that gives you limited ammunition where every shot counts that's not a good thing so i did run into that some where i was like maybe they should widen the hit boxes on the zombies if they're going to be giving us tank controls another minor thing i'm assuming they'll correct pretty easily but in the demo i don't know if this was the case for you but i would go into the volume setting and I would bring the volume, the master volume, all the way down, and it wouldn't make a lick of difference in my game. Yeah, there were a couple weirdnesses. Um, it, every time I launched a game, it opened Steam VR, even though it was not a VR game. Huh. 
Uh, and a couple other weird things I noticed in the menus, yeah, that were kind of buggy. But, I mean, it is an early demo. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, the game plays so similar to the old Resident Evil games. They got the puzzles, the way you, you backtrack, and even the, the level layouts, like you said, it looks like they're directly from a Resident Evil game. So I appreciate what they're doing. Uh, I'm definitely going to be grabbing this game when it when it comes out. I'm sure there'll be some minor tweaks to to have some quality improvements. but And some, some cutscenes would be great. I think that was the only thing I was really missing was there wasn't a whole lot of story. There were some little journal entries you'd pick up and read. But other than that, man, they they kept it faithful to the old Resident Evil games. And, I mean, some could say almost to a fault, but it's like it was almost like finding like a hidden beta release of some old Resident Evil uh, sequel that never was saw the light right. of day. Yeah, going off of your cutscene thing, the eerie cutscenes of old survival horror is just like, it, it, it brings me so much nostalgia and joy, so I would like to see some of those as well. Yeah. All right. Uh, anyway, I got super excited about that. I I thoroughly enjoyed that one. Um, it just hit all the right nostalgia I'm centers in my brain. <laughs> I'm gonna go through and finish it. It's only a demo. I can I can brave through it. I think if I if I start all the way over, I know where I'm going this time right away. At least I'll, you know, I'll maneuver through the controls. It'll be fine. Yeah. Oh, a few more things I wanted to note just to show how closely they're matching the Resident Evil games. You still get green, red, and blue herbs. You got to mix those. Um, you mix gunpowders to make ammo, which is also a trope from the old Resident Evil games. The uh, the shotgun is the exact same to where if you were just to shoot a zombie with the shotgun straight ahead, it would take a couple shots. But something you discover playing the old Resident Evil games, if you let the zombie get right up to you when they're about to bite you and you aim up in the air and shoot, you'll blow their head off in one shot. So basically, that's the once you figure that out, that's the only way you can use the shotgun. Uh, but man, yeah, it's just so much we're going through. It's just all these little nods and, and identical game mechanics. I think it's really perfect timing for them too, though, because survival horror and all these Resident Evil remasters and whatnot and getting people into these games that have maybe never played them before, I think it's a really good time to get, you know, to release something like this. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, my only other complaint is the animations are pretty bad in the game. Um, just, but then again, that's typically the case with with small independent games. They don't have a big fancy motion capture studio to get these real hyper realistic animations. But yeah, so so. But then again, also the PlayStation One Resident Evil games had terrible animations too. So part of me was like, it's, I can't even complain about this because it's again, it's just like it would have been on PlayStation One on Resident Evil. He's, Right. These stiff animations that are all goofy looking. Uh, okay, yeah. I think we've sunk enough time in that. Uh, anyway, so Mitch and I wanted to play some games that we would not normally play. And that involved several things. Do we have any weird games in our Steam library that we somehow got, either somebody gave it to us or it came in some bundle or something, 
and it, let's just pick a game that we have in our Steam library, don't know why we have it, never planned on playing it, and just play it and see if we like it, see what happened. And even beyond that, Steam is just an infinite um, rabbit hole of weird games. And if you really go searching through the thousands upon tens of thousands of games on Steam, you will find some very bizarre, very niche games. Some that'll make you question why they even exist, why you even exist. Even un just, <laughs> it's weird. Uh, Mitch, what was, what was your game in your Steam library that you never would have played if you weren't pressed to play it right now in this challenge? Yeah, and this was a surprising one for me because Honestly, it's a pretty critically acclaimed game, but I've just had it sitting in my library since 2017 when I first built my PC. It was one of the first games I bought in my Steam library, and it is called Bastion. And Bastion is developed by Supergiant Games, and for those who have never played Bastion or may be familiar with Supergiant Games, they created most recently Hades and the upcoming Hades 2. Which I know a lot of people have played that game, so I was shocked right away when I was like, well, I've played a lot of their other games. They've released a couple others, uh, such as Pyre and Transistor, but Bastion is the first one they developed. And Bastion itself is an action RPG. You play as, uh, you play as a character just named The Kid whose job is to repair a city that is uh, in the aftermath of some catastrophic event that they call the Calamity. And what's cool about it is as you're completing through levels, you'll receive new weapons, tonics, uh, shops that all have different effects, and these shops will give you more items to help you along your way. The Bastion itself, or the area that you're repairing, is kind of your hub. You sit in this hub, and you go to you build up shops, and you go and you upgrade your weapons. You get new items, you get new tonics, weapons, whatnot, and you combine them all, and then jump into another level. Throughout each of these levels, you have a narrator who basically is talking through your moves as you're making them through the entire game, which I thought was kind of interesting that, you know, like you'll, you'll go North on a, in a certain area is like, Oh, the kid is going North. He's going to go explore the, <laughs> the depths of hell over here or something. You know, he just different things that, you know, that you're doing throughout the game, which I thought was very interesting. And uh, the narrator itself is actually the one person you meet when you're building, when you're rebuilding the society. He's one of the only other survivors that you run into. And so he starts talking to you and basically narrates the entire game as you go through it. Uh, it, it wasn't what I expected. I think it is. I'm not sure how long it is. So I, I had the impression and kind of why I didn't play it up until this point is because I thought it was really long. And I'm not typically one like to sit in my computer a long time and play. I'd rather be on. I'd rather be on my couch, but uh, it, I don't think it is as long as I as I thought it was originally. So maybe it's one I, I will finish on the PC. But it, it it's beauty, graphically beautiful. I've noticed that all Super Giant games look very similar now that I've seen Bastion, I've seen Pyre, and I've seen Hades. They all look very similar and really cool graphic style. 
And for a game that came out in 2011, it still looks very well. It controls very well. It runs very well. And I thought it was interesting. It came out in the height of, I don't know if you remember, the Xbox 360 arcade. That's basically when this game first came out. And I, I looked it up, and I think half of the sales of Bastion came from Xbox 360. Yeah, just I noticed that, too, just watching the trailer at the end of it. It had an Xbox 360 emblem saying indicating it was it was released on that console. Yeah, I, I I know like the Xbox Arcade was like a super like big I don't know like it, it was super big for indie developers specifically. I really think Xbox and Microsoft themselves aside from Steam paved the way for indie developers to be like, "Hey, bring bring your games over here. Like they can be small, that's okay. We're going to throw them in you know this arcade that we have and it really took off i know there's a ton of games that i bought on 360 that were from that xbox arcade just because they were cheaper than you know a typical you know big open world (laughs) you know big developer so yeah i mean i I had a lot i've had a lot of fun with bastion i i actually talked to another friend who saw me playing it on steam and he's like oh you're playing bastion I, I beat that game like 10 years ago. He's like, it's a great game. <laughs> I'm like, I've heard that a lot. And the Steam reviews do reflect that. They're overwhelmingly positive, And I, I couldn't tell you why I didn't ever play it. I, I think I just got too excited when I first bought a PC and bought way too many games at a time. And then that one just got lost in the shuffle. So do you know how you ended up getting this game? Did you get it in a bundle? Or did you actually one day purchase this game specifically on Steam? I purchased it specifically on Steam. Probably during a, I get suckered into their fall sale, winter sale, summer sale, da 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 da. Yeah. So I'm sure in one of those sales, it was fairly cheap since it was a game that came out in 2011, uh, and I just picked it up because I thought I would play it, and I never did. <laughs> nice. Is the combat similar to other Super Giant games, or is it different in that regard? So- yeah, so some of their super giant games are different styles. Like Pyre is more of like a, a well, actually, Pyre is probably my favorite of the super giant games that maybe I'll talk about at some point in this podcast. And it's more of like a, like almost like a futuristic basketball type game. It's hmm. it's very, but has a way deeper story than that. So I think if I want to compare it to what the combat would be, it would be more compared to a Hades, but just not as fluid as Hades combat because. Hades being a roguelite and more of a dungeon crawler, it's really tight mechanics to get through, you know, the dungeons and whatnot. But I, w- I would compare it to that. It does have, you know, diff- a combination of using like abilities with just using a primary weapon, which you start with a hammer that you're swinging a bunch. But then you also have a secondary, more range weapon, which I was using. There's a bow and arrow, and I think I had like a little like pea shooter gun. And then in combination with that, there are tonics that you can use. Like I had a tonic that would heal myself, but I also had another tonic that if I died, it would give me one extra life to to move on the level with. So certain things like that, you get buffs along the way. I I, I think it's it, it was a great stepping point for their for them as a whole. I think they really built off of Bastion and create some really good games after it and use pieces of, of Bastion into their later games, which I think is cool. So, yeah, I, I'm glad I, I decided to play it because I'm a big fan of the developer, and I'll highlight them whenever I can. Nice. Cool, man. 
very interesting to hear. It was on the Xbox 360 and the Xbox Arcade Marketplace heyday. Uh, yeah, for for my own library, for some reason, I have this game called Footlol. And no, I did not mispronounce that. It is actually Footlol. F-O-O-T-L-O-L. With the L-O-L being capitalized. Footlol Epic Soccer League. I must have gotten this in a bundle. Because I'm pretty sure I did not purchase this at any point by itself. Um... So yeah, this game's 10 years old. Looks like it was released back in 2013. And I this would not be something I would normally play, but I actually had fun with this. So you have a soccer field. It's very cartoony. And you are not directly controlling any of the soccer players. These two teams, one team being yours and one team being the opponent, will just play. They will just play. And you, as like the godlike being overseeing the game, will throw obstacles in the way to try to hinder your opponent and help your team. And the longer you play, the more abilities and power-ups you unlock to help just mess with the game. And at first, they start out with giving you landmines. So you'll just Throughout while the game's playing, you'll drop landmines in front of the opposing players and it'll blow them away so your team can score goals. And then you eventually get a shield to protect you from the other team's landmines. There's goo you throw on the ground that slows people down. And then to counterbalance that, there's a speed ability. You can click on each individual player, give them a speed boost, and then they can get through the, the goo that would normally slow them down. You can build barriers. You can send in airstrikes. Um, you can set the the soccer ball on fire, which then causes the goalies to be afraid of it and jump out of the way of the ball instead of trying to block it. And yeah, it. And then in addition to that, you can upgrade your teammates' looks, but that's just all cosmetic. And then there's some other things you can do, like unlock additional ability slots so you can come into games with more than just a handful of abilities and just keep coming in with more and more uh it man it's it's weird it is weird and then <laughs> there's also an ability where you can drop additional soccer balls on the field so next thing you know there's 20 soccer balls on the field airstrikes coming in there's ufos there's cows there's obstacles slime goo landmines next thing you know though the soccer field is just pure chaos and uh you just hope that your team ends out ahead after all of these things getting in their way just trying to play their normal game of soccer uh, it definitely had to have been a bundle because i this is not something i'd ever expect you to play yeah no way um it was fun though it was fun for a short period of time there's like 70 levels and it would take hours and hours to finish this but i would say after about the 40 minute mark i was like all right this is the novelty is worn off. I'm good on all this. Uh, apparently, at one point, there was a multiplayer as well, but this being a 10-year-old small indie game, I tried to join a server, as I always do, but 
nobody else was playing. A for effort. It wasn't like Tomb Raider where people were actually playing still. Yeah, you never know. That's why I always try. You might just be pleasantly surprised that somebody else in this world is like, I'm going to play some footlol. Uh, yeah, it's it, it was pretty fun. The My only criticisms is there's no local co-op, which would this would be a great game to play with a buddy on some couch co-op. Um, there's no controller support. Which kind of makes sense because basically the game is like it's all UI based, um, just you know point and click essentially, almost like a, like an MMO or a, uh, like a real time strategy or something. It kind of yeah, I guess okay. it kind of in a way is a strategy game. Uh, the UI, the user interface, is beautiful. It was a very small team. I think only about four or five people worked on this, but whoever did the UI work, man great job it is so clean i really enjoyed it being a being a software developer i'm weird like that like i notice the user <laughs> interfaces and uh I will, i'll never call out a bad one because i know how hard it is to make user interface but i will definitely praise a really good one uh, yeah it was it was a cool little game not gonna go back to it but <laughs> it brought me brought me at least 40 minutes of joy I say it could have been easily been the opposite if it was just a throw in on a bundles. So at yeah. least you, at least you had somewhat a, a good time with it. Yeah, unique premise too. I mean that that could be incorporated into other sports or and other ways of of making games with a, with similar gameplay. It was yeah, different, I, unique. Yeah. What were you gonna say? I play a little uh, Mario Strikers. I, I have the most recent one. I played the GameCube one. It reminds me of that where. Obviously, you control the players in Mario Strikers, but there are things that come down to, you know, deter the other team or give power-ups to your team. So, a little similarity there. Yeah. So, that was it for my the game on my Steam library that I normally would not play. So, so we were also looking into other extremely bizarre games, and... Mitch, you found a weird one. I, I did am, find a weird one. I am very curious to uh, hear how this one turned out for you. Yeah, only 99 cents, and I had a little money in the Steam wallet, so it didn't put me back anything, which, honestly, <laughs> I wouldn't have paid a dollar for this game if I had it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the game is called My Name is Mayo, and we were just kind of going through games in steam randomly trying to keep them family friendly because we know as mike said in the uh in the deep uh depths of the steam store there are some very inappropriate games that uh we're gonna refrain from sharing on this podcast but this one uh i i am i can say was not inappropriate in any way but it was just very stupid and essentially you are literally a, I mean, you're not anybody. You're you're a finger, essentially. And what you're doing is clicking a mayo jar, which unlocks more Steam achievements the more you click it. Huh. And so I was clicking this thing. I probably clicked for 300, 500 clicks on it. And then I realized there was a little more depth to the game than I thought, which was good because I thought it was literally just me clicking a mayo, a mayo um, glass for 
you know, forever and ever until I unlocked every achievement. But you can go in and you can see all the achievements and then it'll say, click here to unlock story. So I was like, okay, sure. I click on one of the achievements and then I press play. And then as soon as I know the mayo jar is starting to get dressed up in certain things that pertain to the story that they're trying to tell. So for example, one of the stories is just simply this girl is trying to grow up to be like her father who is a rock star. And you start off with that. For instance, it says when I was young, I wanted to be a rock star and it just shows the mayo jar is now holding the guitar. <laughs> and if you click a little more, you unlock more story. And then it just goes, my dad wanted me to grow up to be like him. And then it just shows the mayo jar with a mustache. And what the heck? Yep. So it, it's literally just the more you click, the more story you unlock. And your mayo jar is dressed up in with different features and maybe holds different cosmetics I, you know, I don't know it's it's incredibly strange and i don't know anybody who would pay a dollar for this but apparently enough because there is a my name is mayo two and three what what the heck see when you first started describing this game i was like okay is this like some game specifically made to give people steam achievements like some that's what i thought originally too but there was actually a little story to it within the achievements that i guess i think it really is an achievement grab but i think they threw a little story in just to maybe add like a a, a smidge of depth to the game instead <sighs> of literally you just sitting there clicking a mayo glass for you know forever along this is so weird i mean looking at it some work had to go into this. I mean, there is art and different screens and stuff. And yeah, who, why, why is this a thing? And it has a very positive rating on Steam with over 2,200 reviews. I did read some of the reviews and there are a lot of troll reviews of people just, you know, literally just saying, just obviously it was probably before a time where reviews were very heavily moderated on steam and they still really aren't that much so i think it's more just people just trolling saying this is a great game you should buy it 99 cents click click a mayo glass and you know and get some steam achievements wow. but then there were some that were obviously like this is the dumbest game of all time please do not waste your time like which that's really what it is. I mean, it is it is a big waste of time. I don't I don't know who would just be one day wake up and log on to Steam and just be like, really want to play. My name is Mayo today. Yep, that sounds really good. Wow. Did you look into the sequels at all? Are they the exact same thing? No. Let's. I'll, I'll take a look now because I I just noticed them at the corner of my eye, like when I was in the page about to launch it, because there was one of those. You know, they always had those things where you can bundle together to get a cheaper price on all the games if you buy them together. And I want to say that there were two. I'm, I'm almost positive there were two more. Okay, I'm not seeing any more by the same developer. But they have made some other weird games. They have a game called Mr. Massage. Use your dating skills to get a well-earned massage through your gamepad controller. Oh god, why did I even read that out loud? <laughs> <laughs> oh 
right, all right. Forget I said that. Anybody listening, <laughs> you don't want to know about that game. I told you, there's a dark hole. Of- <laughs> oh, all right. Yeah, we've already begun going down the dark rabbit hole of Steve. No. Okay, yes, there is a My Name is Mayo 2 and 3. One is My Name is Mayo 2 is 99 cents. My Name is Mayo 3 is 199. Who is it by? Is it by the same developer? Uh, Who is the. It's Green Lava Studios. Yeah. That That wasn't showing up for me when I clicked on it. Yep. And I'm looking at the screenshots of My Name is Mayo 3. Looks like there might be a tad more depth to it. Really? Yeah, the mayo is actually like walking around on a on like oh, a yeah, map, like. Oh yeah. So maybe a little bit more depth. Okay, my Not name is I'm mayo too. Looks identical, it. with some more colorful yeah. backgrounds. Yeah. <laughs> and then my name is Mayo Three. Oh, this is man. This is so stupid. What the? Yeah, the third one looks a little more advanced. I guess. Yeah. Along with story on My Name is Mayo, I will say they also just gave you stupid random facts. And honestly, I can't remember. I should have wrote a couple of them down because I don't remember what they were. But um, yeah, it it literally, I, even in the about this game, it just says like their, their key features include unlock 50 unique achievements. So I really think they just wanted you to get achievements, collect the handmade Steam trading cards. Mm-hmm. They really just wanted you to get your Steam level up. And that seems to be the... Uh, to be the gist of it there are there are online leaderboards though for what i am not sure i'm guessing whoever clicked the mayo jar the most and apparently the third one has also been released on playstation 4 and playstation 5 what the heck i don't get it and i just saw some weird stuff real quick just trying to look this game up <laughs> so. all right anyway moving along um we got one more weird game for you. We're hitting the hour mark, so we'll wrap it up here for you guys. So there was another game I checked out called Fine China. And this one's a VR game. And in this game, you put on a giant backpack. So you reach out with your VR hand, you grab the backpack, and as soon as you grab this backpack, it is stuck to your VR controller. So what you're supposed to do is then either put it in your back pocket or put it in your belt loop or something to simulate actually wearing the backpack on your back. And then you go through an antique shop with this giant backpack and try not to break everything. And everything you bump into just throws all the fine china and antiques on the floor and then they smash and then it racks up how much money and damage you've done, and your goal is to get through this china shop as fast as possible with doing as the least amount of damage as possible. Now, of course, the real fun part of this, oh, and there's other stuff too, like you can go through a flower shop, um, an electronic shop, other stuff that has a lot of expensive things that you could possibly break. But let's all be honest, the fun part is just trying to do as much damage as you possibly can. So, pun intended, I ran through the china shop like a bull in the china shop and was just smashing everything. And it was mildly entertaining for a couple of seconds. Uh, But 
wouldn't recommend the game, but it was, it was, uh, it was a thing. And apparently, not too many played it. Too, not too many people played it because right now it's sitting at eight user reviews. Uh, as dumb as my Mayo game was, I think I give you you more credit this week for actually hooking up your VR, putting on the VR, and playing a game in it that you full and well knew was probably not going to be great. Yeah. For sure. And uh, the my biggest gripe with this game, uh, other than there not really being much to it, is in most VR games, you move yourself through a level. So you can either walk... Of course, you have limited space in a room when you're playing VR, so typically you can only walk so far, and then usually in games you teleport to the next spot, and then you continue on. I This game is not that old. I guess it's kind of... It was made in 2017, so I guess it kind of had the excuse of being an early VR game. But instead of you moving through the level when you run out of space in your in your play area, you move the level around you. So instead of me being like, I'm pointing five feet in front of me to teleport, instead I'm going, I'm going to stand still, grab the whole level, and move it five feet closer to me. And it just was very unintuitive and very strange. And not the best way to handle navigating, especially when you have limited time. When they're like trying, you're trying to get through a level as quick as possible, and you have to keep stopping and then moving the level, it's just, it was very weird. <laughs> uh, anyway, some random VR game I got in a bundle. Uh, one of those weird ones that, yeah, just wouldn't have played if it weren't for sure. us challenging ourselves to play these games. Well, that is it for me. Mitch, you got any final words on any of the games we covered this episode? No, nothing. That was a good episode. It flowed together really nicely, and uh, I'm looking forward to playing games I want to play uh, for yes. next week. Yes, please. Please. Well, we did play some good games we liked. We did. We definitely did. Uh, anyway, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks even more if you made it all the way to the end of this episode. You can find our episodes on YouTube, Spotify, as well as Apple Podcasts. Mitch, where are we at other than that? Yeah, you can find us on our Twitter, which is at Hills Are Silence. Our Instagram, which is Instagram backslash Hills Are Silence. Our YouTube is at The Hills Are Silence. And our TikTok is at the hills are silent podcasts if you have any questions or comments or even game recommendations as we said uh, you can send them to our email inbox which is hills at gmail.com we'll catch you in the next episode